0: One in one, take seven, five, six. When we recorded the opening and closing of the very first Star Wars film, I didn't have any idea there would be a second one. None of us had any idea that we'd ever hear the music again. When we played the music with the orchestra, at the beginning and the end, it was a celebratory moment for them and for me and JJ. It was like visiting an old friend, having kept up with him this long, I have to say that I just feel very grateful. This is For Our Love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, or as close as a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. What makes a Star Wars movie feel like Star Wars? It's not something easily pinned down with one answer. The visual palette is a huge piece of the puzzle. The juxtaposition of space-age technology with old, lived-in scruff around the edges, careworn tunics and dog-eared leather belts, and warped and dimpled fuselages. Themes and designs inspired by the imagination of George Lucas and the visual artistry of Ralph McQuarrie The Star Wars vibe also stems from the kinds of stories it tells. The classic hero's journey infused with splashes of pulp color borrowed from the likes of Flash Gordon. But one element of these films stands out above all others. If we took away this one thing, Star Wars wouldn't feel the same. It's the music. Welcome to Episode 9. I'm Mark Marquis. I've wanted to cover the music of Star Wars for quite some time. Honestly, there are other podcasts that have done a much better and more thorough job of covering the music of John Williams than I ever could. The best of these is David W. Collins, who hosted a series called Star Wars Oxygen and who now hosts a broader canvas of movie music on The Soundtrack Show. If you haven't checked him out, I strongly encourage you to do so, and I'll put a link to his podcast in the show notes. David has a wealth of knowledge about the structure of music and its historical place in composition. I could never hope to match his level of understanding and insight. I'm not a music scholar. I don't know much about scales or bars. Can't tell my andante from my allegro. But I know how music makes me feel. And I know that Star Wars wouldn't be the same without the contribution of the maestro himself, John Williams. Williams has been such a long-standing contributor to film that it's easy to overlook the fact that his career didn't take off until he was in his 40s prior to 1975, Williams had established himself as a professional musician on films like Some Like It Hot and To Kill a Mockingbird. By the early 1970s, he was composing for big screen movies and earning Oscar nominations for his work on Valley of the Dolls, The Poseidon Adventure, and he won his first Oscar for Fiddler on the Roof in 1972. But it wasn't until he got a call from a young filmmaker trying desperately to save a sinking production on a film about, well... A Shark The little movie with the big production woes was being helmed by a young upstart named Steven Spielberg, and it was the beginning of a beautiful relationship that would last until this day, more than four decades later. It was lightning in a bottle, the kind of collaboration that makes history. It was Lennon and McCartney, Soderbergh and Clooney, Bert and Ernie. You can't mention one without thinking of the other. The soon-to-be greatest filmmaker of all time was teaming up with arguably the greatest film composer of all time, and their resume speaks for itself. Just listen to the following montage. You'll not only instantly know the movies, you'll likely see images from those movies in your mind's eye. This is the power of music in filmmaking. When people are asked to provide a soundtrack to their lives, most people choose rock or pop artists or a specific album they enjoyed as a teenager. For me, it was the soundtrack of movies. These films are what I grew up with and grew up on. I've seen them dozens, if not hundreds of times. I can't overstate how important these movie themes have been to me, no matter where I am or what I'm doing. The instant I hear the hummable theme from E.T. or Raiders of the Lost Ark or Jurassic Park I'm transported to when I first saw those movies. As I got old enough to buy my own music, I would buy movie soundtracks to upcoming films and listen to them over and over again before the movie came out. I did this with Star Wars and Jurassic Park. John Williams was sometimes my first impression of an upcoming movie, the first taste of what was in store. Speaking of Star Wars, that's the reason for this episode. The collaboration of Spielberg and Williams led to another historic pairing that would define blockbuster filmmaking for decades to come. George Lucas was looking for a composer for his new space opera back in 1976, and he asked his buddy Steven for suggestions. Spielberg didn't have to think twice. He told George that John Williams was simply the most talented composer alive, and so Star Wars found its heart. Music provides an instant connection to film. It can communicate emotion and feeling in ways that framing, screenwriting, or cinematography prove more difficult. Music is like a universal language for the soul. And since George was a visionary filmmaker with specific ideas about what he wanted out of Star Wars, he had no trouble telling John Williams what the movie needed. Lucas wanted Star Wars to be a throwback to the golden age of cinema. It was a swashbuckling fantasy. It needed a classical approach, like the Errol Flynn movies. It needed music in the style of Eric Wolfgang Korngold, who composed scores for Errol Flynn movies including Robin Hood, Captain Blood, and The Prince and the Pauper. But Lucas also wanted the music of Star Wars to reflect a classical approach. He used famous pieces like The Planets by Holst and The Ride of Spring by Stravinsky. So he used those pieces as temp tracks for Star Wars. Lucas made it simple for John Williams. Compose something similar to those famous works of art. No pressure there, right? So Williams had something like this as his temp track. He knew exactly what Lucas was asking for because Williams knew that Stravinsky was simply the greatest composer of the 20th century. Perhaps the greatest composer of any century. But Williams also knew how to put his own unique spin on it and give it a signature sound that would be uniquely Williams. This is what he came up with. Fortunately, John Williams was talented enough to not only capture the feeling of the classical temp tracks, but made them feel distinctive to the story of Star Wars. This classical approach seems like an obvious choice to us today, but if you consider what it must have felt like back in the beginning, it was radical. It was risky. No one was making classic movies anymore, and they certainly weren't using classical scores and using classical music in science fiction. Okay, Stanley Kubrick may have opened the door just a little for Lucas with what he did in 2001, A Space Odyssey. But Lucas took this idea and ran with it. Lucas was opening up a new galaxy for his audience, and he understood the need for the audience to have something to keep them grounded in the familiar. A classical score would do this, just as it had for 2001, A Space Odyssey, where so many sci-fi movies in the 70s were relying on cold, synthetic electronic music Williams and Lucas were going for something much warmer, more romantic, something that made us long for the myths and legends of old. I'm going to highlight my favorite music from each of the Star Wars films in order of their chronological release, but I'm saving my favorites for the end of this episode. You can probably guess what those are based on what I don't cover in the review of the movies in order. Binary Sunset is a stirring, emotional way to kick off this list, because no other piece of music better represents the nostalgic rush we feel about the movie that started it all, 1977's Star Wars. It captures the longing of a wistful farm boy whose dreams lie far beyond the horizon, far beyond the light of the twin suns of his lonely home planet. Williams underscores the romantic yearning for adventure and the sadness of dreams that feel forever out of reach. Second only to perhaps the main title itself, no other piece of music is associated with Star Wars more than the Imperial March from 1980's The Empire Strikes Back. It's instantly evocative of the might and strength of the Empire. With severe conformity and relentless domination over the galaxy, Thousands upon thousands of faceless stormtroopers and stalwart officers all pledging their dying loyalty to an emperor and his vision of order through fear. And spearheading this mission is a lone helmeted figure draped in black with a terrible reputation for crushing those who oppose the will of his empire. The Imperial March is relentless. Listening to it feels like being trampled under the wheels of a war machine. The bad guys have never had a better theme song. Han and Leia's love theme has always sort of reminded me of Gone with the Wind. It's probably because no other piece of music in the original trilogy captures the broad, sweeping, romantic scope of The Empire Strikes Back more than this one. And the callback to Gone with the Wind didn't escape the notice of the marketing department because the movie poster for the Empire Strikes Back depicted Han and Leia in the same dramatic pose from the Gone with the Wind poster featuring Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. What's interesting about Han and Leia's theme is that it's providing subtext for the audience. Throughout the early part of the Empire Strikes Back, both characters are at each other's throats, but their constant bickering hides the sexual tension and director Irving Kirshner wanted the music to inform the audience what was really happening between these two people. Kirshner explains. There's a love scene. We call it a love scene. It's actually a scene that leads to a kiss which is the equivalent of a a major love sequence of another film and um, the music is a very very important part of it. It's integral to the scene because there are only about uh, seven lines in the entire sequence. Uh, and the music is the dialogue in that particular scene. It tells us what she's feeling because actually uh, the two people are in open conflict. But uh, the music says, ah, what you're seeing is maybe conflict, but that's a game because actually uh, I think they're falling in love. But what I remember the most about this theme and the image I always think of is that final shot of the film. Luke and Leia watching the Falcon fly away with Chewie and Lando. It disappears into the spiral galaxy below, and the Rebel fleet pushes on with our hero's fate uncertain. His failure is complete. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. To 13 year old me, this moment was a turning point. The way the camera pans across the room, following Luke and Vader, as Luke lashes out, giving in to his fear and hatred and the voices and the music rise like a dirge of sorrow for the soul of Luke Skywalker. I had an epiphany that the rage he unleashes isn't so much against Vader or the Emperor, it was towards his own father. And that hit me on a deep internal level, unlike anything else in Star Wars ever had. It was due almost entirely to John Williams' choice to play this scene with sorrow rather than bravado. Williams knew what Lucas wanted to convey in this scene. The power and strength that Luke taps into in this moment is not something to celebrate, because he reaches it by embracing the dark side. People who prefer to remember Luke as a super-powered Jedi would do well to remember this. The confrontation between Vader and Luke in Return of the Jedi was one of the only instances where Williams incorporated vocals into the soundtrack of the original trilogy. But Williams would lean into vocals even more for the prequel trilogy by assembling a choir for Duel of the Fates, Here is Williams explaining why he made this choice for episode one, The Phantom Menace. The decision to make that choral was just the result of my thinking that it should be, that it should have a kind of ritualistic or quasi-religious feeling to it, if you like. And that the introduction of a chorus might be just the thing. One, two, three. In 1998, Lucas wanted to tell the backstory of Darth Vader and show the Republic before the fall. He envisioned this time period as formal, brighter, cleaner, and less gritty. The Jedi were at the height of their influence and strength, but The Phantom Menace takes place on the eve of their downfall. Episode 1 is about the return of the Sith, and John Williams wanted to convey its dramatic potential. It needed operatic aspirations, and that's exactly what he delivered. The reception of the prequels has always been a mixed bag, but at the beginning, before we knew anything about the story, the only content we had to go on were the trailers and the music video for Duel of the Face, which aired on MTV. We've never seen anything like The Phantom Menace, and with music this dramatic, You can see why our expectations were hyped to near-impossible levels. The love affair in Attack of the Clones is one of the weaker elements of the saga, in my opinion but it's portrayed as a formal throwback to the Baroque romances of European literature. The plot of Forbidden Love pays respect to Romeo and Juliet, so maybe that's why I hear a similarity to the theme from Romeo and Juliet from 1968. Nino Rota wrote the score for this movie, and I have no idea if it influenced John Williams or not, but we can hear a lot of similarity, so whether intentional or not, both Romeo and Juliet and Across the Stars evoke the bittersweet longing of an affair that has disastrous consequences. If the execution of the romantic storyline in Attack of the Clones left me cold, the inclusion of this beautiful theme more than makes up for it. Williams is doing the heavy lifting here by providing the emotional gravitas that the film often struggles to produce. While we're on the subject of Across the Stars, I want to share a snippet from a moment where I always hear a bit of this melody. I've already played this piece of music for you earlier when we covered Return of the Jedi. There's a section in the music playing over Luke and Vader's saber fight that reminds me of Across the Stars. Ever since I made the connection, I haven't been able to unhear it. Here's the moment I'm talking about in Return of the Jedi. I'll isolate it for you. And here is Across the Stars. It's just a tiny collection of notes that rise and fall in a similar way. I don't believe, of course, that John Williams was referencing Return of the Jedi when he composed Across the Stars. It's likely a coincidence and nothing more. But it sounds enough alike that I still make the thematic connection in my mind, because Anakin's attraction for Padme would eventually become his obsession. When Vader taunts Luke and enters his mind, he finds that Luke is protecting someone close to him. And when Vader sees an opportunity to exploit Leia, Luke lashes out because he can't stand the thought of losing Leia. Like father, like son, huh? Sticking with the operatic grandeur he established in episodes one and two, Williams wrapped up the prequel trilogy with a score that had to tell the story of Anakin's fall to the dark side. It was full of interesting choices, such as the best scene in all of the prequels, Anakin's quiet contemplation inside the Jedi Temple and Padme's ruminations on the other end of the city. It says so much without including a single word of dialogue, and Williams chose a uniquely unsettling way to translate the emotion of the scene. Anakin's solitude is set against a dying wail of a woman's voice. His love for Padme has devolved into an impulse to control her fate. It's no longer about Padme or what Padme wants. It's about Anakin's own selfish desires. And it's about his fear. My favorite moment in this piece is when we hear strains of Across the Stars, small and weak and distant. like the last bit of light going out in Anakin. By the time Anakin has fully turned and taken the name of Darth Vader, the music returns to its operatic heights. I think of Battle of Heroes as a companion piece to Duel of the Fates. The former heralds the Sith's dramatic entrance on the galaxy stage after a thousand years of isolation and secrecy. But Battle of Heroes is personal. It's about the falling out of two friends and everything that is lost when the Republic's democracy falls to authoritarianism. Battle of Heroes is about tragedy. The structure of this music stands out to me because it contains that sweeping, sorrowful chorus that's broken up by sections where the music flutters and scurries like two warriors trying to find their footing in a treacherous terrain while they battle to the death. More than any other piece in the entire prequel trilogy, this is the music that instantly conjures images of a specific time and place within the film. I see shots of Mustafar and Obi-Wan and Anakin scrambling across the lava rivers, sabers swinging and clashing and spinning around in the orange glow. Revenge of the Sith was the first Star Wars soundtrack that I purchased as soon as it hit stores which was about a week or two before the premiere of the movie. I was back in school to earn my associate's degree, and I remember sitting in my car between classes, listening to the soundtrack. I expected the music for the story of the rise of Darth Vader to be more like the Imperial March. I was surprised at how sad it was. It was my first clue that the story of Darth Vader was not going to be about power and might and strength. It was going to be about tragedy, loss, sorrow the big baddie from the next movie on our list gets his own theme as well and it starts ominously enough Kylo Ren, or as he's known by his birth name, Ben Solo, is the most wonderfully emotionally damaged, conflicted, complicated, and controversial villain ever to grace this franchise. At some point in the future, I'm going to devote an entire episode to this character, because there's so much to unpack when it comes to Kylo. I couldn't begin to do him justice here. Let's just focus on his motif. I love how it starts off dark and brooding. The power of it builds much like the rage and turmoil inside him. When you're Kylo Ren, you go big or you go home. The question has yet to be answered. Is his nature to be good or bad? And which will prevail at the end? In direct contrast to the angry boiling fury of Kylo's theme is the gentle intro to Rey's theme. It has an innocence to it, a purity of spirit, but Rey's theme builds on that foundation. Williams incorporates French horns a lot in Rey's theme, and they give this piece of music a regal, almost noble quality. The kind of nobility that's found in good, honest work, resilience, honesty, and empathy. Williams famously said that he didn't see himself composing music beyond The Force Awakens, but he couldn't imagine anyone else writing music for Ray. There's a point in the theme where it feels like the music is reaching out for something, moving towards a goal. Ray is searching for answers. She's looking for a place where she belongs, and eventually, she finds it. Every Star Wars movie has traditions, the opening crawl, the long-time-ago title card, the way the quote, I have a bad feeling about this, is worked into the dialogue, and the endings. Each film ends with a tableau in which the characters are presented for their closing shot. I think of it as a curtain call, as one chapter closes and before another opens. Examples are the medal ceremony in A New Hope and Padme and Anakin's wedding with R2 and 3PO looking on in Attack of the Clones. But The Force Awakens shook up this tradition by subverting the traditional Star Wars ending. If you look carefully, the scene in which the Resistance gathers to see off Rey as she and Chewie fly off in the Falcon in search of Luke has all the makings of the traditional closing shot. Everyone is there on the landing strip as one adventure ends and Rey's new journey begins but director J.J. Abrams pushes past this moment and withholds the circle wipe to the incredits. We follow the Falcon as it leaves the Dakar system and enters hyperspace. It emerges in orbit of the planet Octo and the Falcon descends into the salty sea air of the planet. Here is where Williams presents us with a strikingly beautiful new motif. Following Ray up the jagged steps of the island, the music rises slowly and gently, like Ray's expectations. But the melody is mysterious. What will she find? What questions will she ask? Will she even know what to say to the legendary Jedi Master Luke Skywalker? And there he is, a hooded figure on a cliff face. Williams captures the mythical spirit of this moment. The hopeful face of a young person seeking answers and meaning looks into the inscrutable face of a much older mentor whose eyes reflect reluctance. But why? What follows is a silent gesture, heavy with symbolism and expectation as Rey pulls the Skywalker lightsaber from her bag and presents it to the Jedi. Williams using the theme from binary stars is highly effective here because Luke once looked out to the horizon in search of his purpose. But here, many years later, he's called away from his gaze upon the horizon to answer a call to a new purpose. What will he do? Many of the themes that Williams writes in Star Wars can be enjoyed by themselves as standalone pieces, but sometimes we have to put the music together with the visuals to understand what Williams is saying about the characters. A great example is one of my favorite motifs from The Last Jedi. We first hear it when Luke is pole vaulting over that chasm to go spearfishing. This jaunty theme seems to be about Luke and his time on the island in isolation. It has a business-as-usual quality to it, like the wise Jedi Master who's decided to hang up his robes and just go about his day spearfishing, Thala siren milking, and, one assumes, porg roasting. But it turns up again in a lovely moment where Luke comes across Rey practicing some of her lightsaber skills (laughs) The way Williams intercuts this theme with Ray's theme and the way director Ryan Johnson edits the movements of Ray's lightsaber gives me chills every time I watch it. What makes this so effective is how everyone, the director, the editor, the composer, show us that despite Luke's hardline refusal to train Ray, he can't help but be moved by what he sees in her. As a piece of visual storytelling, this scene really stands out. And since we're talking about how everything can come together to make a scene memorable, it's important to note that sometimes a lack of music or even a lack of sound entirely can take the audience's breath away. Here is Steven Spielberg discussing this kind of creative choice. One of the most important steps in the process often goes unnoticed, and it's called the spotting session. And it's when we decide what scenes should have music and what scenes should not have music. And it sounds simple, But great composers like John know that the power of music also lies in the absence of music. One of the most striking examples of this approach occurs in The Last Jedi. Vice Admiral Amalyn Haldo, played by Laura Dern, is a good example of the adage, don't judge a book by its cover. With her floor-length ball gown and hair the color of grape-flavored cotton candy, Haldo defies conventional stereotypes of what a battle-hardened veteran should look like. But if her outward appearance isn't enough to convince us, we need only pay attention to her motif by John Williams. This is the sound of a fighter with steely determination, someone who's seen enough war to understand the concept of self-sacrifice and how it's often the only option available in a lost cause. It's a very rebel-sounding theme, when you think of it that way, and its ultimate effectiveness comes during Holdo's definitive showstopper, a moment which left audiences stunned and theaters filled with only the sound of gasps. Everything takes a back seat to the visual effects department, as audiences were treated to one of the most unforgettable scenes in the saga's 40-year history. Now that I've covered each movie in chronological release and highlighted some of the standout music from all of them, we've come to the end. It's time to reveal my two favorite Star Wars themes of all time. The penultimate choice on my favorites list is none other than the throne room ceremony from the movie that started it all. No one encapsulates the majesty and triumph of the end of 1977 Star Wars better than John Williams. He sends the audience out on an emotional high so rewarding it makes us want to dive right back in or queue up the next chapter in the saga. Maybe I just like celebratory anthems or the pomp and circumstance of seeing my heroes rewarded for their bravery and friendship. But whatever the reason, it's a piece of music which expresses the best qualities in humanity and what's possible if we all work together towards a common goal. It celebrates our better angels. If I had to choose one piece of music John Williams wrote that would represent Star Wars to future generations, it's this one. Can you guess by now which is my favorite piece of music in all of Star Wars? It's notably absent from the earlier part of this episode where I discussed the original 1977 film. Choosing this was easy because it's a piece that has a profound emotional impact on me. It's always stood out as a beautiful composition. It's one of those pieces that Williams features as an orchestral suite and that he plays live in concerts, which illustrates how much this piece means to him as an artist. But in recent years, it's taken on additional significance. In 2017, I attended my very first Star Wars Celebration in Orlando, Florida. It was a thrilling, exhausting, sometimes frustrating experience, but the memories I brought back will last a lifetime. Since I was a Celebration newbie, I didn't have much experience with large panels, And I soon realized that the only way to secure my spot in the opening day panel was to queue up bright and early. Problem was, I didn't arrive soon enough. So while I spent hours sitting on a cold concrete floor, I didn't make it into the main hall. And I had to settle for one of the overflow rooms. But we all had access to the video feed from the main hall. And I was with hundreds of fellow Star Wars fans who, just like me, were just excited to be there to watch the kickoff to Star Wars Celebration. The 40th anniversary panel had wonderful surprises in store. We saw a reuniting of George Lucas, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Ian McDiarmid, Hayden Christensen, Billy D. Williams, and Peter Mayhew. It was an embarrassment of riches for any Star Wars fan. Having George and those actors reunite on the stage was the best gift any of us could have hoped for. But one name, was noticeably absent from this reunion. A larger-than-life character who would have added a ton of spunk, a bit of attitude, and several laughs to the conversation. The stage cleared, leaving only Kathleen Kennedy, Lucas, and host Warwick Davis. And so began the tribute to that missing soul, Carrie Fisher. I had already discussed the passing of Carrie with my brother who accompanied me to celebration and we were expecting some kind of Carrie tribute and that it would be an emotional experience. Kathleen Kennedy introduced Billy Lord, Carrie's daughter, who came out and gave a speech to memorialize her mother and highlight Carrie's trailblazing legacy. Billy gave a wonderful speech with so much poise and grace it moved everyone in attendance. Nothing about her was a performance. She loved you, she loved these movies, she loved the people she got to make them with, and she loved this incredible character she got to create, this force called Leia. When she finished, The lights dimmed and a montage of the best Carrie Fisher moments began to play on the overhead screens. When it concluded, everyone was wiping tears and applauding then something happened for which no one could have prepared. The curtains on the side of the theater opened to reveal the maestro himself, John Williams, along with an orchestra of musicians. It sent a shockwave throughout the room and the entire convention center and the millions of homes all across the world that were live streaming the event. Williams graciously acknowledged the crowd and then placed his finger to his lips to quiet the audience because he had a very special gift in store for all of us. The audience settled into a reverent hush. William's baton gently glided and swayed over the orchestra as it carried us into Leia's theme. Dozens of smartphones raised to capture the moment were accompanied by the first round of sniffles as tears filled the audience's eyes. What's notable about this piece of music is the first time the melody plays, it's soft, wistful. There's a gentle, feminine quality to it. It's small, much like the stature of the princess herself. But as Star Wars has taught us, looks are deceiving. There is nothing diminutive about Leia. And Carrie Fisher never did anything small. One of the reasons this piece affects me so deeply is how it grows in strength. The first melody plays. There's a transition. And then the melody repeats. Each time it repeats, it expands in volume and breadth, incorporating more instruments. Strings get louder. What starts builds towards something larger. Each setback in Leia's life only strengthens her resolve, shapes her character, gives her the drive to push on and fight harder. She never gives up. Leia's loss would cripple anyone else, but she uses that pain to bolster her strength as a leader. She fights until there's no more fight to be had. Leia's theme builds to a crescendo that is nothing short of victorious. we can say the same about Carrie. With the closing strains of a lone violin, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Star Wars Celebration 2017, the moment when the maestro said goodbye to Carrie, along with a few million of her closest friends. With 40 years and 8 saga films, there's a lot of Star Wars music I didn't have time to cover. I left out Luke and Leia's theme, the track from The Last Jedi entitled The Spark, the approach to Oda Gunga from The Phantom Menace. Maybe I'll do an honorable mentions episode in the near future. What are some of your favorite pieces of music? I'd love to know what you would choose as your favorites of all time. Was it on my list? Not on my list? Let me know by emailing clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com and put Forever Star Wars John Williams in the subject. If you've been searching for some smart, insightful articles about the themes of Star Wars, visit us at clashingsavers.net. You can find me on Twitter at DJMMarkey and on Instagram as MMarkey1205. Drop me a message and let me know what you think about the show and if you have any ideas for future episodes. I love hearing from fellow fans. Thanks, and I'll see you soon. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you, and always remember... Your focus determines your reality.